Today, we are investigating the technology that is shaping the future of investing with Pierre Mendelssohn, the founder and CEO of Alpima, the SaaS platform for investment management and product design. Pierre, welcome to the FinTech Files. Thank you very much for having me. Great to have you here. So can we start by asking what's your background and what made you start Alpima? You know, the first thing I'd say is I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And that comes in part, I think, from being from a family of doctors. I've seen people run their businesses and I've always been inspired by that. But I decided to take a different course. I trained as an aerospace engineer, uh, an applied mathematician, and I ended up on Wall Street uh, working for the large firms in the US and uh, Europe and Asia, focused on quant uh, strategies and derivatives. And I was fortunate to work in a number of roles. But while working for the industry, the one thing that I noted, which really uh, struck me, is that technology was not evolving very much in uh, helping clients. And if you looked at how the industry changed from 1995 to 2014, it's fair to say the tech we were using to build solutions and serve clients did not really change very much year on year. So that started to tickle me a bit in the mid-2000s. Then the crisis happened, the global financial crisis happened. Um, I stayed in the industry until 2014, but by 2014, I was ready to start. Uh, I knew what I thought I needed to do, the kind of platform I wanted to use as a client or a professional. Uh, and I also felt that I needed, the, that I knew who to call. Um, and I also felt it was the right time in my life. I had what I thought was sufficient savings um, and figured it's now or never. It was a classic case of uh, if not now, uh, when, and if not me, who kind of thing. So that's really what made me start uh, Alpima. Wonderful. So can you tell us a bit more about Alpima? What does the company do and who are, what type of client does it serve? Sure. So we're, we're a SaaS platform, uh, B2B SaaS platform for investment managers and product design. Our clients are uh, asset managers, product providers, wealth managers, asset owners and consultants. We help the model build and implement investment strategies. Uh, for them and their clients. And so a key part of this is visualization, uh, backtesting and forward testing. And uh, that also uh, enables something which is difficult to achieve in practice, which is to bring personalization at scale. So we enable our clients to offer their customers um, highly personalized solutions under their brand. And because we're cloud-based, we can deliver our service very easily um, as a white table service. And one thing about us that is really special is um, you can use our PMA on day one. Um, it's an extremely uh, easy process to log in. And simply put, we help our clients remain at the forefront of innovation and client service in a very competitive, fast changing market as well. This is not an IT project that involves many people at the client firm and will probably take a long time. It's something that well, the integration of the platform may result into an IT project, but the unique feature about a platform like ours, because of its architecture being cloud-based, is you can give day one experience by simply having people link into a browser and click a few buttons. And so that's really special. And from then on, you can basically get requirements from people using the platform who come back and say, look, can I integrate into this and that data source, can I perhaps add these features, can I remove these features, and then we work on two things, implementing and integrating the platform with the client, and then uh, responding to particular requirements, and we can figure out the platform for that, and that may take uh, a project to your point. So sometimes there is an enterprise project that goes with the, uh, with the work, sometimes there isn't. It depends on the scale and the purpose of the, of the mission. 
Sure, sure. I understand. So you can obviously do more, but as you've given me a login for in preparation for this podcast, I have the experience myself and I have to say it is very visual. Um, I'd almost say it's fun to play around with. You talk about object-oriented investing. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Sure. So that sounds like a very old phrase from the 80s and 90s. Uh, object-oriented uh, object orientation is something that is very well known in technology and, and business. So we're taking that core concept and applying it to uh, finance. It's a very powerful idea. And really what that means in practice is we're seeing that every investment strategy, whatever that is, your portfolio, um, an index, um, a systematic strategy, whatever you think of really, uh, can be described and modeled as a digital object. That means a model with code and a unique identifier to access it. And once you're able to do that, you're able to do plenty of things which otherwise take much longer to do, like visualizing, modeling, backtesting, uh, tuning, uh, optimizing. And you can also use that to deploy the product when ready. So it's a very powerful idea. And the power of it resides in the fact that it's complete. The fact that there is no investment strategy that cannot be described as an object. So it's a very uh, powerful concept. And uh, in terms of business benefits, it literally goes across the range from efficiency, speed, all the way to uh, hopefully creating better solutions that perform because you've optimized them, because you've actually managed to tune them to exactly what you want to achieve. So it's a fantastic means to an end, which allows for great visualization and better implementation. I mean, just to give you a, a, a you know, bit of context, with Alpima, as you may have seen, it takes about 10 to 20 seconds to build a high-quality dynamic strategy, which, if you don't have Alpima, uh, would take days, possibly weeks, even long, sometimes months. So we're talking here about uh, several orders of magnitude of improvement in speed. Um, and then it's also the key to allowing clients to then customize solutions. So you can put a stable of offerings on a platform and then let your clients, your customers, um, take the object, customize it, tune it, and then deploy a version of it that fits their own various ones. And that's compared to what would the, the investment managers, your clients, be using at the moment instead? And I would guess that Excel spreadsheets have a big part of it. So that's a very good point. The industry is still using essentially a, a toolkit that is powerful, but a bit dated. So usually you've got spreadsheets, you need some market feed coming in uh, with data from vendors like uh, Bloomberg, Refinitiv and others. Uh, you perhaps have some programming languages involved that can be VBA, C Sharp, Python, MATLAB. And then you need to visualize. And that usually is done on PowerPoint presentations, on term sheets uh, in Word or PDF, or it can sometimes be done on websites. But you don't really have a single platform that allows you to do all of this uh, in a way that's integrated. And so the thing about Appima is that you can actually feed into these systems. You can integrate with the existing uh, toolkit, but yet give that one experience across a number of functions in the organization. You can connect research to uh, structuring, to portfolio management, to the CIO office, to sales, all the way to clients. And so there is something else about the benefit of the platform, which is that it basically joins users up on a single uh, platform. And that in itself is very powerful because now you're making interaction a lot quicker. Uh, you all of a sudden have people uh, exchange a lot uh, more efficiently, a lot quicker. 
and that's really good for the overall uh, value proposition. Hmm. And um, if we go back to this concept of object-oriented, and you also mentioned about digitizing portfolio, so can we go a bit more into that and talk about, so what can you do with a digital or, uh, well, we say digitizing or digitalizing, um, what can you do with a digital portfolio? And there's something that comes to my mind is like, can you know, if I have a 3D model of the house, I can move it to any dimensions I want and possibly exactly. know, test, test whatever I want uh, exactly. instantly, right? Rather than, is it something... Is that a good? Um, it's a super, it's an extremely good analogy, and it touches on something uh, important, which is that in order to understand something, first you have to model it. Other industries like aerospace, automobile, architecture, to your point, consumer goods have been doing this for years. Uh, they digitize their products before they bring it to market. And uh, if you look at an aircraft, for example, before it gets manufactured, there's a very advanced digital model that gets created and tested uh, before it gets uh, then. Uh, sent to manufacturing. So digitizing the portfolio or digitalizing the portfolio is doing the same thing. First, you create a digital model of the investment strategy or the portfolio you want to implement. That means you create a model that actually has some logic to it um, and a link that allows you to immediately retrieve it. And the logic is very much like the DNA of the object that you're looking at. It's the logic uh, about what does it contain, how often does it rebalance, what currency is it in, and what's the logic that drives uh, the object. So once you have that model, then you can basically uh, do a number of things. First, you can look at it across past, present, and future in a way that is very powerful and instantly. So past is all about backtesting, how did the strategy perform, where did, where did performance come from, um, how did it compare the benchmarks, uh, what, were these, what were the historical drawdowns, what's the volatility, et cetera, et cetera. The present is what's in the portfolio today. Um, how does it relate to the world? What would happen if rates went up? What would happen if oil went down? What would happen if Tesla uh, had another big move? And then you can also look at the future uh, because now, of course, you can project it going forward using what's called monocular simulations. And that gives you a sense of how the object might perform in the future based on certain assumptions. So that gives you chances of gains and losses uh, and whether you can achieve certain goals. So that makes goal-based investing a, a very direct consequence of uh, object-oriented investing. So it's an extremely powerful uh, concept to digitize before you deploy. And then you can use that digital result and make that the production object, right? You can say, okay, now I want to activate what I've optimized for me, and now that becomes something which goes from the backtesting or historical uh, stage um, into a production-implemented invested stage. And the one more thing I should say is that because you're dealing with digital models, a digital description of your project, if you ever decided to settle electronically, which is very fashionable these days with uh, digital ledgers and crypto, uh, you can, of course, do that because the, the object you've created is referred to with an identifier. So um, most of our clients are still very much using settlement in the real world, mm -hmm. but object-oriented investing, digitizing your your portfolio allows you, should you ever want it, uh, to do so, to basically use electronic settlement and so forth. Right? So you've got a tokenized object, to use the, the phrase that, that's relevant here. You've got a tokenized object by default. A very token links to a particular object. So it's very, very powerful. Hmm. And if we go to the, 
so let's go to the client side now. So who would be the typical user? Is it a portfolio manager at a fund management firm? Would that be a good example? And it's it's yeah. it's a good example. We've got a variety of use cases that uh, Alpina is used for, and it typically uh, ranges across one product design and, and portfolio design. So now you're basically supplying either a product team or the CIO team, and you're, you're helping them create portfolios uh, and implement them. Um, you also have sales teams or solutions teams that can use the platform in order to create solutions in real time or near real time with their clients to see what would happen if. And that's a very powerful way to engage with your clients because you can uh, test a few uh, hypotheses. You can see what would happen if you put a hedge on the portfolio or what would happen if you removed certain constituents. Um, and then there is also, uh, very importantly, uh, helping uh, an end-to-end -end solution whereby certain firms want to ensure that what they uh, allow their clients to invest in is in tune with a strategic asset allocation. And in that case, the platform gets used by a number of users, uh, product, uh, relationship management, with a CIO group, making sure that the strategic asset allocation at the top is um, in accordance with their decision. So it's really a very broad set of possible use cases. Um, and the last thing I should say is also, uh, this has been more recent as a development, we're also helping more and more research teams or quant teams um, essentially design an experiment using Alpina uh, before they deploy. Um, and for that, they use an interface called Moodbooks, which is really the quant interface into the platform. So there's two ways you can interact with the platform. Simply put, one is you've got a graphical interface where you click buttons and create an object as you do that. Uh, but by definition, that's a very finite um, set of possibilities. You can never uh, cover uh, all possible use cases that clients will, will want to create. So the alternative is to also give access to what's called um, notebooks. And that's essentially a programmable interface, uh, very similar to Jupyter notebooks, where uh, users can decide to uh, code whatever they want to do uh, and see if it works uh, until such time as they get a result that is hopefully satisfactory. Hmm. Now, that's, that really... Talk to me as, and as a someone who was on the sales side, I can understand. But let's dig a bit further into this. So, someone who in sales who doesn't have necessarily a technical background, but obviously understands about investment, uh, is now able to look, for example, very quickly at Monte Carlo simulation. That's right. Which normally, well, again, is something accessible to many sales, etc. But perhaps not at the tip of your finger. That's right. And I guess you're trying to make it easy to answer simple questions. Like, what's the chance this is going to perform in the future? What's the chance this is going to help me beat my 2.5% inflation target? What's the chance that this is, this is actually going to uh, exceed my uh, liability uh, schedule so that I can indeed ensure that my investments are doing what they must? So all of a sudden, all these questions that are not easy to answer are readily answerable because you've got the platform at your disposal, doing the hard math for you. And it's really splitting the answer into these three parts, past, present, future. Um, and that came from practice, by the way. Uh, speaking to clients often, what they want to know is, how did this thing perform in the past? So let's see how it, what, how it looked like during, say, periods of stress. Um, how did it compare to other strategies and so forth? Uh, second, how does it relate to the world today? How, how does it link it through markets today? What would happen if? 
And then lastly, what's the uh, distribution outcomes that I can expect in the future? And is that in line with what I want to achieve? And usually an investment is made when all these three uh, topics have been covered um, in, in some depth. Um, yeah, I can see how it helped a lot in the, let's say, ideation process uh, from the very beginning of maybe a, a conversation on the phone where you can pretty much have all the results uh, straight away and, and filter out, you know, uh, some things very quickly before moving on to a more in-depth implementation yes, it, allocation. It, it, and it also plays a role in the post-implementation stage where now you've got something running and you want to make sure it's still in tune with your um, objectives and, and aspirations. So you can basically monitor whatever you've implemented with great uh, precision and you get all these insights on the drivers of performance, on the risks, um, on how this thing's doing, on whether you're still within your risk ratios if you've got those. Uh, so it's an extremely helpful thing to use as well after you've implemented because you've got at your disposal all the metrics on on real uh on, on real numbers based on market uh, moves so i can clearly see how it's improving the client let's say let's call it client service also the process from client to um to to structuring or or um, cio um another challenge i guess that the industry is facing is the race to well, lo lower fees, right? Um, how would you say this smooth, th this kind of tool can can improve the process and the efficiency from a cost basis? Well, it's incredibly uh, efficient when you have a platform that is set up and integrated with your data sources uh, to see what people can do with it because the platform is there. You don't need to rebuild it. And so you've got an inbuilt operational leverage into the way the platform operates. So that's the first thing. And of course, over time, people can add more functionality, more data links, more features as time goes on, but that's incremental. The core is there, it doesn't change, and it doesn't cost much to, to, to maintain from a client perspective. The second thing that is uh, really interesting is the notion that you're now connecting various roles and you're giving management information that they never had before on the usage of the platform. So as soon as you get enough users on the platform to make the observations statistically relevant, you can actually see who's using what uh, and to what extent. And so that can inform senior management as to things that are of interest, things that perhaps aren't that much of interest. Um, you can perhaps see trends across usage. And all of a sudden, you're basically equipping senior management with data they, they've never seen before. So the platform creates its own metadata on usage that can really help firms make better decisions as to things that are in demand, things that clients are actually using um, versus not. And that gives you new insights, completely new insights, uh, versus the previous status quo, which was simply to um, have people talk to you about what's going on. Now you've got the ability to get a, to get a dashboard that gives you clear information about usage, data feeds, uh, what is going on on the platform and so forth. So that's an added advantage. And we've discovered over the years that this is actually something of value. Clients really like that. It's called the, we used to call it the admin app, and now it's called Meta. It's a module of the platform, and it's something that is uh, uh, more and more used by our enterprise clients. Yeah, something that is not, something that we've discussed with uh, someone else in terms of, uh, yeah, all, all, all the data that you can have in the firm internally eventually is extremely precious, and people are just starting to, to, 
to grapple with this. And then when we have a lot of data, there's also a lot of insights that, well, you, you didn't know you wanted or you didn't know you needed, but suddenly uh, there's a lot to work with, right? And um, you could see, for example, if you put a stable of uh, portfolios or strategies on a menu, um, now you've got the ability to see what is being clicked by whom. Um, you perhaps believe that your big ESG launch is going to gather a huge interest, and all of a sudden the data perhaps tells you something a little bit different. You've got to mm. do something to it to really uh, uh, make it a success. So you're basically giving the information to management and to the operators uh, so that they can make whatever changes needed to become more uh, client-centric and hopefully more successful. And uh, another thing which is very obvious uh, when you try, and as I have been able to log in, is um, the intuitive and visual for something that is very technical, quantitative. Did Is it something that um, was a trade-off? Did you have to look at uh, the visual versus the technical feature? How did you approach that? Or did you prioritize, well, obviously you want the, the, the technical features to be in, but uh, coming from a technical background, how did you approach the visual aspect? Well, I think those two things are very complementary. So the interface and the math are extremely complementary, and firms like Google and Apple have taught us that great interface uh, doesn't have to compromise uh, the power of the product and the analytics. So we strive to maintain the user experience uh, to be as simple and intuitive as possible while developing the most powerful capabilities in the back. Um, and you know this well, it's very well documented that visualization is a very important part of understanding. Um, and has been for thousands of years. Seeing is believing, seeing is understanding. So if we can make that aspect more closely connected to powerful math, we think that's helpful and we'll continue to focus on that going forward. We're now having a big push on helping optimize the UX based on client feedback as well. So it's not just intuition and what one thing looks good, it's really based on uh, the feedback you're getting from clients. And we're using that in order to make the experience hopefully better and better over time. Great. Um, so before I go to your outlook, I also want to ask what do you see for you? What, is the the, what are the main marketing or, or growth challenging? Because it's a wonderful product, but I can imagine that you're dealing with a complex and long sales cycle. Could you tell us a bit about that? Yes, absolutely. I mean, that comes with the territory when you do B2B uh, sales. Um, it's measured in months and quarters, sometimes years. So you've got to somehow put a process in place that allows you to operate as you're working through uh, the sales process with, with enterprise. And candidly, we've learned a lot about this in the last few years. So there's something to be said about having a process, uh, monitoring the data, you know, make sure that you follow up thoroughly and so on and so forth. The second thing that is also can it been a challenge is that when we started, we were creating a category um, and people were like, wait, you know, what is this? Is this a risk model? Is this just a, a reporting system? And the truth is you do a bit of both. So we had to do a bit of explaining. Um, and in, in truth, most of our clients and prospects are keenly aware they need to dig digitalize their businesses. Very few uh, are aware, however, uh, of exactly how to do it. Mm. So we find that the challenge is in basically helping people um, understand um, what to do in order to digitize. And the platform becomes a, a, a means of demonstrating that. So for us, it's been a very interesting experience. For some of our clients, it's also sometimes been an eye-opening experience to see what the platform can do. Candidly, uh, people sometimes may not appreciate what technology today can allow when to do. Uh, 
And it takes seeing the demo and seeing the platform to go, ah, I see. I didn't know I, I was able to do this. Um, then there's a, a third challenge, which uh, is you know, something typical when you're setting to enterprise. You arrive and you do your demo and you know, you're, you're, you're proud of showing your product, but inevitably product teams at some prospecting clients will say, look, I can do this. That doesn't seem that hard. So there is the, what we call the illusion of internal competition. Some firms we speak to believe they can build what we've built. Um, and the truth is we've seen the movie before. Uh, clients try, they spend a few millions, they arrive at some result, it isn't quite where they wanted, and then they somehow call us back. And why do they call us back? Because the truth is we make it look easy. Right? So people think that what we do can be easy to replicate, when in truth there's years of um, hard work and dev, you know, production work, um, and so forth that led us to, to, to the results. So we're now finding that there's an important component in our pitch, which is to say, look, you know, you will probably think you can do this on your own. The truth is it, it the optimal uh, approach is to partner with us because we've done all this work, we've done all the hard work, and by partnering with us, we can save years and millions of, of expense. Um, so we're trying to address the point a bit earlier going, we know what you're thinking. Uh, we've seen it before and we understand. Uh, and by the way, I used to do this at big banks before and I know the challenges of building platforms in large organizations. I mean, you know them well, George, we're in the industry. It's very hard to do this when you're in large corporate, right? It's uh, for a number of reasons. It takes a number of years to build. Uh, it's not easy to fit a schedule that is three to five years into a corporate schedule. Um, and then you've got, of course, you know, elements of corporate inertia and so forth that perhaps make it difficult to, to build this into a large group. Not to mention sometimes political forces that may or may not be aligned with what you're trying to build. So the truth is large groups, large firms, you know, want to do something. They know they've got to digitalize, but what they find difficult is the how. Um, and that's where we come in. Yeah, sure. And so that comes back to the point about uh, visual versus technical. Sometimes you can figure, oh, okay, I can build a model, but um, if, it, if there's not the UX, etc., and no one uses it, what's the point? And that's very hard, and it's a different set of skills. So um, I, I totally understand. So now I want to move on to your outlook. And we've discussed a bit, but can you tell us, you know, what, what do you think is the most exciting part of the, for the future of the investment management Industry. So I think the investment management industry is at an incredibly exciting juncture. And the exciting part is the future itself. Because now you're getting to a point where technology can demonstrably do things that are adding value to clients and to firms. And so what we see uh, are clear um, trends, which um, we're very excited about, is that there will be more customer centricity. It's understood that in order to remain competitive, you have to be more client-centric. And for that, you've got to have tech. Um, there's an understanding that in order to compete, you've got to also allow people to personalize solutions. And without having a headache when you do that, you've got to have the tech that makes it natural for firms to give personalized service without having to exert huge uh, energy. Um, and what that means is that it will allow iterations and it will basically produce better and better solutions that are built in a shorter and shorter amount of time. I think there'll also be an increased focus on visualization to your point about making complicated things simple. Uh, the most complex one of color simulations can be rendered extremely simply. 
in the end, it's about what's the chance I'm going to be above a certain benchmark. So, you know, you can make the complicated simple and technology can help that. Um, I think transparency is another thing that we're excited about. And to your point about fees, I think the key is not necessarily to reduce fees, but to, for the same amount of fees, give a better service, give more insights into the product store setting, demonstrate why it is special, demonstrate how it differentiates. Why is it that uh, client X needs to work with firm A? And the visualization of the products, the ability to demonstrate visually why uh, you're a better solution is, I think, a very important part of this. So to me, the future of investment management is actually very exciting because we're seeing an industry going from what used to be solely a product model to a product and service model and perhaps uh, going to uh, a stage where a service is the dominant uh, proposition over product. One more thing I would add to this is financial literacy. I think technology will help with visualization, personalization, engagement to actually increase the level of uh, financial literacy, the level of understanding uh, of what goes into a product, what makes it good, what, why, why does it fit me as a person as opposed to the next person. All these things will go up in time uh, naturally as a result of technology becoming more uh, widespread in the industry. So we think it's an incredibly exciting time. And the truth is large firms, existing firms have uh, the capacity and the, the uh, runway in terms of years to really do exciting work. We've seen it happen. We see now multi-year plans being put in place or well on the way, depending on the organizations. And it's exciting to see that people are taking it really seriously. Now, when you put things like ESG into the mix, when you put new considerations, difficult macro with zero rates and so forth, technology can really help make a case that firms are competing and doing the right things uh, for their clients. Exciting. So we're very excited about the future of uh, the investment industry thanks to you and i think that's a great conclusion i'm just gonna finish as its customer here to uh, with a couple of uh, personal questions quick fire questions and light-hearted ones um so what would you do if you were to choose a different career path well you know what george um i would do what i do now uh because it combines a number of things that i uh love uh, applied mathematics finance markets technology clients and adventure uh, it's a really special privilege to be able to be in my position and this is part of the reason why i'm so optimistic about alpina um i would do what i do i absolutely love what i do um and you even mentioned uh, during the conversation i remember we talked about digital uh, airplanes as digital objects so i think you're uh, you mentioned your studies there's also a link there perhaps um, there's a huge, actually, there is, there's a huge link. I studied aerospace. I, before I worked in finance, I interned uh, with a company in the aerospace sector in Toulouse in France, uh, and that stayed with me. Um, and candidly, I'm, you know, I'm a, bit of a, I'm a bit of a geek. I'm a huge aviation fan, uh, and I'm a private pilot as well. Uh, flying has always been a huge source of inspiration for me, and I see huge uh, parallels, many parallels, between flight and what we do, human and machine, overcoming a challenge through innovation, um, navigating uncertainty, uh, controlling a, comple a complex system based on limited information, et cetera, et cetera. So there's many uh, parallels. And to this day, I still remain uh, super interested in the field because I think it helps us feed ideas into what we do. And uh, I know it's very time consuming as well, so you really have to be passionate about it. 
Yes, I mean, I, uh, I, that's what drove me to my studies, and uh, I did a bit of flying when I was a student, but then I stopped for a long time, for about 11 years, and I resumed in the early 2000s. And today I do my best to stay current. COVID is not really helping. Um, but the whole subject of aviation is actually a very rich source of inspiration for innovation and the interaction of human and machine. It's an area in which, in short periods of time, massive progress was made by people thinking through how can things be done better and how can we model something before we actually go in and do it. So it's, a, it's, it's very much a, a very live source of inspiration for me um, on, a, on a regular basis. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it, but that's a lot of uh, food for thought. So I think uh, we'll, we'll finish here. But thank you so much, Pierre, for this very insightful talk about the future of investing and all the best to you and the Alpima team. Thanks, George, for having me. Thanks for listening. And thank you to our guests who make this possible. Subscribe to never miss an episode. As this is a new broadcast, if you could give us a five-star review on iTunes and your favorite podcast player, that would be great. Let's work together to accelerate fintech towards the 2030s.